0: Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand under the coming Horns of Odin. And as always, before we get into the show, I do need to do a little bit of housekeeping, self-promotion. You know, we have to keep the the lights on here. And the best way you can support us is through our Patreon. It's just Patreon forward slash Nord Mythology Podcast. It's £3 a month and you get a bonus episode every single week. So after the main show ends, we sit down with the guests and do a QA with the live audience. Or you can submit your question ahead of time. So you get that extra episode where there's sometimes questions that I miss that people pick up on. And they, they do tend to be a lot of value in there. It's like, let's like say it's an extension of the main show. You also get ad free episodes, early access to all the episodes. You can watch them live, like I said, you get the live chat where there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there every episode. And you also get access to our Discord server, which is a lovely little community of people we've built over the years. It's a nice place to hang out. And for the next tier up, you get the story time with myself and Jonas Lorenzo. We've just started going through Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. So it's it's a little bit more legible than the the older storytime episodes. And these are are a lot of fun. They're a little bit looser. Me and us tend to have a a beer and we have a a good laugh with those. So if you can, please just support us over on the Patreon. And if not, just leave us a five-star rating or or positive review wherever you get your podcasts. And just a like and share across the social media. just at Audio Mythology Podcast. But yeah, let's jump into today's episode. It's officially the start of our spooky season. We have a bunch of guests lined up with an all different spooky topics so today I'm joined by Gwendolyn Knight who has maybe the most fabulous name of any guest I've ever had on the podcast. Uh, Gwendolyn welcome.
1: Thank you so much and I I apologize that I am a little bit um, distracted just now as we are beginning but as you you can see my my two cats have chosen this very moment (laughs) to to let loose. Um,
0: I feel that also kind of fits in with our topic of <laughs> witches t- today, and it also kind of sums up cats that they pick the most inappropriate moment.
1: Exactly to start to start beating the crap out of each other. I mean, uh, siblings are as as siblings do. I, I suppose um, it always reminds me of one of my favorite woodcuts um, from a an early modern witchcraft pamphlet, which um, is a uh, an old woman who's sort of feeding her familiars. Um, and they always look so nice and docile, um, and uh, and then and then you have moments like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh well, tis life.
0: It is, um, yeah. <laughs> what do they say? Never work with kids or animals. Is that the
1: exactly? Yeah. <laughs> when when you're in in films, never work with with children or animals. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So, when do you want to give a quick little insight into who you are, what you do, and what we're going to be talking about?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I uh, am a researcher in medieval history. Uh, I I currently work at Stockholm University, which is also where I uh, defended my PhD. You can very easily ask yourself, you know, well, what am I doing on a Nordic mythology (laughs) podcast Mm -hmm. Um, looking at shapeshifting in early medieval uh, England and and Ireland? Um, The original plan with that was that I was also going to be comparing um, the Scandinavian material um, in the same, the same project, but that wound up taking two slightly different tracks. So then my dissertation, my thesis was just the early medieval material. And then my old Norse, um, shape-shifting research found a home, um, in, in an article a little bit later on. Um, the most recent project that I finished, uh, just a couple of years ago, um, was the, uh, the Alström and Tesserus, uh, fellowship, uh, where I looked at, um, magic and witchcraft as legal concepts in medieval Nordic law. Um, and it's, um, primarily within that context where I have been exploring, um, witchcraft in a, um, in a medieval Scandinavian, uh, medieval mm-hmm. Scandinavian context.
0: Perfect. I'm happy if we take a tangent off into English and Irish witches as well. Don't <laughs> don't worry about sticking purely to the Scandinavia because I know I know the listeners do I know. They they would be more they really we're all just history nerds. So as much as we're we're all here for a love of all things Viking Age and Nordic mythology and that whole shebang, we, we really just love cool historical stuff. So don't don't worry, don't. And I think people know me by now that we always go off on little segments here and there.
1: And that's really the best, isn't it? That you just kind of you know you find a plot bunny and then you just sort of chase it off yeah. into the distance
0: somewhere. That's it. I try to never limit conversation because that's you never know. We we've had some bizarre moments on this show from just going down rabbit holes so so and that kind (laughs) of reminds me that um you are the guinea pig for a new segment that we've decided to introduce to so at the end of the show i think people who've listened to this for a while know that i spend way too much time in facebook groups uh and they're not the best places when it comes to viking era and themed things you get all sorts of infighting and missed Just because anybody can make a meme. There's so many memes with misinformation on it, but people take them as facts. So we've now decided to take my love of creeping in Facebook groups and use it for some good. So what we're going to do is the end of each show. uh, Hopefully it's going to be a weekly thing where I take a meme that I found that either holds some truth or is a complete fabrication or it's just hilarious and i'm going to bring it to the show and then at the end i'm going to discuss it and let people know whether it's real not real or which which bits are which bits aren't or we're all just going to laugh at something silly so today's meme i'll read the, the meme at the start and if you want to hear the answer you can join us at the end, or just it just basically keeps people listening to the end as well, I guess. Uh, let's, let's be honest. Um, so today's claim in the meme was Vikings sold narwhal tusks as unicorn horns for centuries during medieval times, cementing European belief in unicorns and leading to the characteristics portray just, people need punctuation, uh, cementing European belief in unicorns and. Leading to the characteristic portrayal of unicorns having long spiralling horns, so that's the that's the meme. There is a lovely unicorn on there. Uh, yeah, so I did a bunch of research. This turned into again, as I said before, a rabbit hole. I delved into a huge rabbit hole of unicorns, Vikings, and it was actually it was a lot of fun. So I've got tons of notes that we're going to go through at the end. So yeah, keep listening uh, to get that at the end. Like I say, hopefully it's going to be a weekly thing. But Gwendolyn, should we get into witches? Yes, let's. Okay. Uh, is, there, is there a point that you think is best to start? Because my opening question, I guess, would be, what's a, what's a witch in terms of Scandinavia? Because obviously we know, or I know, or most people have that kind of typical witch silhouette a broom uh a pointed hat the crooked nose the black cat like that would be i would say most people's just if you were just like draw a witch
1: mm. i mean that's that's actually a really a really good place to start because you know um as you can probably imagine i, I get very popular around this time of of year um and almost everything that that i have done in sort of connection with, you know, Halloween, October, November, that sort of thing has witchcraft in the title and within about, you know, the first two minutes of starting. Um, one of the first things that comes out of my mouth is that, well, actually, we don't really have witches in, in the sense that we, um, that we think of them um, because the, the witch, as we, as we have the stereotype, um, is very much a product of the of the early modern period uh, and a particular kind of set of stereotypes that are on their way to forming on their way to coalescing towards the later medieval period um but this whole kind of idea of of a witch even of a witch that you know rides on on a broomstick um the first kind of visual representation that we have of that um isn't um isn't until the manuscript from the 15th century um right. and um and so when you see um a lot of studies from the early modern period there's a distinction made be- between witchcraft you know the stereotype of the um the pact with the devil um people, often women, but not exclusively who kind of, um, you know, ride off and and gather and and do these all sorts of like inverted rituals and, um, um, and, and, and eat babies and all of those, you know, delightful things. Um, you know, that we are kind of very familiar with from the, from the trials, um, not, um, there's a distinction made between between that and then sorcery, which is kind of more um, magic as as um, outside of that paradigm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so here it, uh, th- it's interesting you said that because I used to think up until an embarrassing age that witches were just females and wizards were just the male equivalent. That was just I. I I don't know why that was just something that just got stuck in my mind. And that's how, how, but also to an embarrassing age, I also thought that tigers were just female and lions were just male. So <laughs> I, I, I can't be trusted on, the, on these things. Clearly.
1: I mean, it is, it is funny because we get really stuck into the, you know, particular categorizations. We like to be able to say that, you know, that this particular concept goes with a specific definition. And, um, and with uh, with with magic, especially, and, and even during the Middle Ages, one of the fun things is that you know you really kind of can't do that, um, because you know magic is is very much present during the Middle Ages. I think frequently not in the way that we think it is, um, but even during the Middle Ages, it's not a stable concept at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. It changes a lot over time, um, frequently sort of like magic-y words like um, divination um, of various kinds can be under the magic umbrella, causing impotence um, can be under the magic umbrella. Um, and then as time goes on, you have the influx of of learned magical texts as well, which introduces a kind of whole other aspect to Mm-hmm. Um, to the concept as well. So, um, the um, yes, trying to answer the question of what is magic or saying that, you know, the concept of magic has a stable definition is uh, very difficult to do for the Middle Ages, if not impossible.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so do we know where <laughs> the word witch originally comes from?
1: Um, so witch does derive from um old english word um witcher. um and it is um it's interesting because the way that it appears frequently in the old english texts that we have um it's difficult to um discern gender so um we can we can't really tell if if specifically in connection with this word if there's um, a gendered aspect to it but mm-hmm. it's also um, not the only um, label that is used in connection with um, practices that um, that we would call magical today or that for whatever reason the um, uh, the the church um, kind of wants people to desist with. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we see it being used um later on in an early modern context, once it has become um witch, um then we see it being used much more in a um, much more directly in, in a in a pejorative um sort of accusatory way. Okay. That people are not self-identifying as witches mm-hmm. in, in this early period. Like witch is something that somebody calls you.
0: Okay, so it's an it's uh, it's a negative. Yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. So, uh, at what point do we does it become synonymous with only women, or like particular? Because because, like I say, I think if again for most people, if you said a witch, they would automatic mm-hmm. it would be a, a female.
1: It's it's a good question because I mean there it is, it is very much. Um, it does tend to be women who are accused of witchcraft. again, not exclusively. You do have male witches who who are accused. Um, probably one of the biggest drivers in terms of like the popularity of the text um, is um is, is probably the Malleus meificarum, the hammer of witches um
0: sounds very witchy at least <laughs> <laughs> it's got a very witchy name
1: well it was put together by uh someone who um was was very committed to um to fighting witches and to finding witches um but one of the people who was who's was instrumental in putting the hammer of witches together um was was so vitriolic um against women and and you know Talking about the kind of um, like women's sexuality and in his sermons that like even the bishop told him to give it a rest Mm -hmm. for for a while, Um, and the um, the misogyny in the in the hammer of witches is really something quite extreme.
0: Okay, so I've often wondered whether it would like calling someone a witch was just an easy way to get rid of probably particularly a, a, a woman that you just didn't like or just annoyed you because I feel like it's a it's an easy claim to make but incredibly difficult to disprove if once accused of it like it, you could just say oh I saw I saw so- and so doing witchcraft but then it's so difficult to prove you weren't doing witchcraft.
1: and it's also i mean it it comes down a lot as well to um precisely what we mean with witchcraft um especially kind of before this period when uh when we're looking at a kind of more coherent witch kind of paradigm we're very dependent on the particular terms that are used in in legal texts and the the extent to which these are defined um and sometimes you have um for example the uh, icelandic um law is really quite wonderful because it um sets out the sort of specific terms that it's trying to um regulate or um say you know don't don't do these kinds of magic um and it is this kind of magic if you do this um so that's obviously very helpful in in getting a kind of more concrete sense of um if you're accusing someone of um of sorcery of some kind what is it you're actually accusing them of um in in other legal collections like some of these Swedish um provincial laws, it's just kind of if if someone harms someone else with trolldom um and if they are caught doing it but but what is it clearly they know um but it's you know so so culturally understood that it doesn't have to be explained which isn't very helpful for us when we're trying to read it you know several centuries late <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I don't I don't suppose it is uh, okay so it, it seems like there's is there some like some magics are acceptable and some isn't
1: I mean, that's what's really, that's what's really interesting because, um, again, and you can tell I'm tons of fun at parties. Um, it depends on what you mean by magic. Okay. Um, because, I mean, in the Middle Ages, as I mentioned, there are, there, there is talk of magic. There are concepts of magic that are, um, that are being written about. Um, but one kind of very, important thing is that from this medieval Christian perspective, magic is that which um, does not um, at its basis does not kind of center the Christian God um, or sort of the, the altars associated with the Christian God. Um, and so um you can you can even see the um, people who are being called magicians of varying kinds and the saints are doing very similar things if not the same thing but the the key difference is that the saint is drawing their power from God and and the magician um, is not um and so, so, so would, a,
0: would a magician um, be seen as negative because I again this is I would always see a magician as being quite a positive magic wield or maybe on behalf of a king or in that type of situation i wouldn't put a magician in like a negative light whereas a witch you kind of automat- automatically have like a negative view of
1: yeah and i think that's partially because like, as you sort of move through the, the middle ages the magician kind of becomes more associated with um, with the kind of power that they can wield rather than necessarily with um n- rather than kind of as much with this um inherent um inherent sense of sort of christian identity creation and maintenance that it has towards the the earlier middle ages um and um and i mean as as well it has to do with when when witch is employed um in, in historical sources, it's not employed neutrally, right? It's it's an accusation of someone who has either harmed someone or um, who is um, uh, has engaged in, in this demonic pact. Um, whereas, depending on what the magician is is doing, they might not necessarily even see themselves as counter to the way. Um, the way they think the world should work or any kind of accept um, runs counter to any acceptable behavior. they're just um, they're just operating within uh, what they see is within the boundaries of of what is what is allowed and and proper.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess it's like anything uh, and it, it it holds true today, you know, if you're in favor of the right elites, you can get away with a lot more than if you're not. So I assume if you're doing magic on behalf of an elite, whether it's king, queen, whoever, uh, it's all all the church. It's seen as favorable and okay. But if you're doing it at home on your own to get back at your pesky neighbor, um, it's quite negative and frowned upon.
1: I mean that's that's kind of the point, right? Because if again if we're if we're looking at magic the, the the specific way that it's used from a from a medieval perspective, um kind of church magic or Christian magic sort of it's not a thing. Because that's the the very idea of magic is is something that um that separates kind of what, what we are doing and what is allowed from what those people over there are doing and which is not the correct ritual. And so the kind of more like magic as understanding of encompassing a set of sort of specific behaviors, um, trying to use it in a more neutral way is um, um, at least as it's used in, in research is something that we have, um, mostly from kind of more anthropological studies Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so this is something that is um that can be a little bit complex when when you're working with medieval sources trying to balance this you know how we understand magic today and how we identify magic versus how um magic is talked about in the source material
0: Mm -hmm. so so would magic be seen As I don't know how do we know how magic would have just been thought of or seen by the everyday person? Because obviously today we have an idea that magic for the most part isn't real. It's it it's done by magicians, it's sleight of hand, it's the for in, in like that kind of performance magic, but even with most things, I would say most people. If when things happen, they're maybe unexplainable. They would they turn to try and find an act, you know, a, an explanation for it, a tangible reason to why things happen, whether it's just scientific or whatever. Uh, so we, I guess, we would probably be quite skeptical of magic being a real thing today. Whereas was it just something that was just accepted as a part of a part of life, a part of just everyday? Occurrence?
1: I mean, probably. I I think that something that we possibly take for granted today is, is the assumption that we can explain everything or most things. Mm -hmm. I think kind of what's, what, um, the, the one comment in, in the chat, you know, exactly how, how people understand magic today. There's a lot of variety there, um, as, as well. And, um, you know, whether it has a pejorative aspect to it or, or not can, can depend a lot on the context. Um, and, but I, I think that it's picking up on, on where I was when I had frozen, easy to forget that before, you know, we had these sort of scientific explanations possible, um, people simply had to live with the idea that you couldn't explain everything that there were there were lots of things you couldn't explain right. and that, you know, from a more. Um, from magic as we understand it today, sort of the, the being able to affect your world in that way. Um, was in certain contexts, a perfectly rational response with a uh, response to how people um, interacted with their world.
0: Okay, so so you said that we they didn't particularly have witches in Scandinavia. What would be the closest thing to a well, witch? well? They they
1: did they didn't have witches in the sense of um of people who you know made pacts with the devil and went off to Sabbaths. Okay, I mean they certainly had people who um people who would um who could be accused of harming others through through magical means okay um, and um in in sweden for example um troll uh, a a troll a sort of woman who can use magic um is um is one word that was used and that was actually that continued to be used um through the through the early modern period. Um it wasn't until the witch trials of the seventeenth century, if I remember correctly, that um Hexe was loaned in from German.
0: Is that is the harming of people kind of what would make I guess a witch a witch? Is that is that it, can you draw that from both? So England, Ireland, and over to Scandinavia as well. So, I guess, um, I guess I'm trying to push for like a what would be a definition of we can we can like how can we like is there like a, a to define a witch across the board?
1: Um, I mean, until we have until we have this kind of paradigm that that coalesces towards the later middle ages, sort of not really. Um, it's i mean even among the the medieval nordic laws it can um it can differ the the degree to which um various kinds of of magic are um so, uh, appear in a in a legal context and exactly in what context they they appear um in in many of the in many of the swedish laws for example it is like this aspect of, of causing harm is central. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, you know, hurt someone or, um, if you manage to, to kill someone, um, then that's kind of, then that, that is the problem. Um, in, uh, in the Norwegian laws, um, we have more, um, more stipulations that are included in the Christian laws section, and so there we have um, a greater focus on ritual aspects. Um, that people who are performing rituals that are sort of seen as improper, mm-hmm. um, and then there's there is an aspect of you know causing harm as well. But this um, regulation of belief in ritual is is much more prominent. Mm-hmm. In the Norwegian material and in the Icelandic in Gragas as well.
0: Do do um, we have examples of how they harmed people? I I assume it's harming people through the use of magic.
1: From specifically the legal material, um often not really. Um it's just that uh, if if someone is is caught having harmed another person through through magic. Um from the later Middle Ages, we do have um, some cases in, in Sweden where um, someone, for example, has tried to use love magic. And um, in the 14th century in Norway, there's there's quite a famous um, case of Ranghild uh, Tregagos, who is um, often described as being kind of one of the earliest which trials in in the Nordic countries um interestingly enough, uh, kind of magic is not mentioned in the text that we have from the trial um what she's formally accused of is heresy okay but um in the kind of confession of of what of what she did, um the central uh the central act is that she, she attempted to kind of get revenge on her ex lover who had married someone else, um, by putting things in, in their marriage bed so that, you know, just to, to sow strife in, in the new happy marriage, um, and to cause him to be impotent. Um,
0: she was just sneaking and, in late at night and leaving, and a horse, inc- <laughs> leaving a horse's head in the bed. <laughs>
1: Except it was loaves of bread. But... <laughs>
0: Is that what it was? Loaves of bread, yeah.
1: inclusively. Yeah, yeah. Um, some some other things as well, but yeah, uh, I'm.
0: And and the bread kind of was interesting. How the bread was to cause impotence.
1: No, the bread was was part of the um, material that was supposed to sow discord. Um,
0: I would love if somebody left loaves and, of bread. Uh, in my and bed. she she had. Like, oh, what a nice, what a nice surprise this is! Um, the bread in the bed. Mm, nice.
1: <laughs> oh, yay! I can, I can make a sandwich.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Do they explain um, why, why the bread would cause an issue?
1: Um, not, not within these texts themselves. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it was moldy bread. <laughs> um but um, um she she was meant to have uh, said an incantation over kind of all of the things that that she left in in their bed um as well and i think part of the reason it was classed as heresy was also because she said that she had um kind of um gotten this uh gotten this power from the devil to to some degree um but what's interesting here is is that you know, there is a putative connection to um set the sort of center of the Catholic world where these sort of changes in um the formulation of of magic and and how kind of the church saw um saw magic were were taking place and you know there's there's always a kind of question mark of. You know how how much of this do we have to thank to uh, a fairly enthusiastic bishop mm-hmm. who found I, themselves in in Bergen?
0: Yeah, I'm so confused by the bread. Uh, I'm just because I, so it's it, this kind of leans into my idea of of this whole thing that I feel like it's just people trying to use witchcraft as a way to blame somebody for something because i understand maybe the idea of her leaving things in the bed to cause strife you know it's when people are hurt particularly in love they do things to out of character maybe um so maybe for whatever reason at the time leaving the bread was seen as a matter of disrespect or whatever it would cause strife in the in the relationship but then like adding the incantation to it it's like it feels like it's a level of being like oh this bread was hexed that's why it's such a a negative thing it just feels sometimes it just feels like it's a it's a way to kind of just add an extra layer to things that people do that you can't easily disprove and it but it just kind of yeah throws throws a bit of uh shit at people i guess i don't know i, I the, yeah, the bread one's kind of got me a little bit shook. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I'm so confused by why bread would be uh, offensive. Uh, but okay, so let's let's say we we have a a witch. She she performs magic and is accused and caught. Do we know what the what the punishment would be in in Scandinavia? How do they deal with this? bread-wielding maniac <laughs>
1: um again that um that depends a lot on uh, where and when um okay. it can also depend um on uh some of the laws make a distinction between um between men and women uh what particular punishments they they will get um
0: let me guess. The mend is a little bit lighter. <laughs>
1: um, no. Usually, it's in in cases where they differentiate. They differentiate on the kind of capital punishment. Okay. Um, they are. Uh, they're given different um, di- different methods of of being executed.
0: Okay, but but is um, is death usually the the outcome for, for witchcraft.
1: Um it can be. You have to go through a um sort of series of of steps a lot of a lot of the time. I mean you you need to um you need you need to be convicted and that's not always um and that's not always an easy thing to to do because if you can if you can gather enough witnesses to speak in your favor you can effectively speak yourself free. Um, okay. And occasionally, if you have, um, if you haven't been caught red-handed or if the person didn't die, um, then in theory it could also be possible to just be charged with a fine. Okay. Um, of course, you know if you were. If you were poor and you couldn't pay the fine, um, there were um, frequently consequences for that, which were not so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, a lot of the time, in order to in order to be executed, you had you had at the very least to be caught in the act, or the person had to have died.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you? What would be? Do we have any examples of somebody being caught? in the act like what does like a cauldron just mixing up a, a potion like how how do you catch someone in the act of, of witchcraft I guess it's
1: it's not it's really not an easy question to to answer because you know in in cases where we have um in cases where we have you know a, a description of like this is what we understand with you know um various magic terms um or if you know it has to do more with teaching someone magic or with knowing certain things that's one thing but sometimes it just says you know if if a person is caught um you know using using magic um and we don't really get much more explanation than that okay but we get an explanation that itself is fairly poetic, and and so it's kind of okay. What what does
0: this mean? <laughs> Do we get any of those? Tri- I mean, you may even be, you may tell me these aren't even real, but like those trials of uh, which has been dunked in water, and if they if they drown, they're not a witch. But if they survive, they're a witch, and then they get burned. Do we get any cases of that where like people are put on that sort of trial?
1: Not from the Middle Ages. Um, okay. Part of the reason for that, at least in Scandinavia, is because we simply don't have court records that go back that far or they go back far enough um, to to really give us that kind of evidence. I I think that the water, the water test was something that was developed later on anyway, Um it's not something I'm familiar with at least from from medieval contexts um, but part part of the reason why the case of um, Ranghild in in the 14th century is, is so spectacular is because we simply have so few um, trials mm-hmm. for you know where we can say that someone has done something that you know we would recognize as um, as magic mm-hmm. um, from a Scandinavian context um
0: what about in in england and in, and, and in ireland were they were we just dunking everyone in water as well, well <laughs> what, what were we doing over here
1: i mean in, interestingly enough there is um i mean so so much of the kind of medieval material is, can be a little bit of a of a question of of interpretation um, there's one case from, um, the, oh gosh, 10th or 11th century in, in England, um, where a, um, a woman is, is found, um, it's, it's within the, the context of a larger case, but, but she's found with, with some, um, uh, nails or, or kind of sticks of, of iron, um, and um the you know the consequence of of the whole thing is is that she's is that she's drowned um here you know magic is kind of never explicitly mentioned she's not necessarily um accused of having used any magical means but you know the presence of these nails has has gotten people to think that um that you know some some kind of um some kind of harmful magic was at play here potentially.
0: Okay.
1: Um it's it's a question of interpretation. Um but um I mean the, the connection with sort of the um the, the drowning is is interesting. As as far as I know, the water test was not used mm-hmm. um in in the Middle Ages but
0: um... Uh, yeah it wasn't necessarily just specific the water test i was just Mm. did did we have any other weird kind of ways to test whether somebody was a wish because like Mm. like we were saying before it is one of those things where i guess you could talk yourself out of because it's hard to to prove i didn't know whether we had some bizarre test because there is nothing like the creative creativity of medieval torture that's like you know people's creativity juices were flowing during that time period <laughs>
1: um i think in some cases um in some cases uh ordeals were used to test if someone was telling the truth um you know t- to to test whether whether or not their uh uh their claim of of not having used magic was was true or or not um a lot of times, if you could find enough witnesses to, um, to attest that you were kind of an upstanding member of, of society, um, then that was, that was sort of your biggest, uh, your biggest aid. And, and that's, you know, why so much of this comes back to, um, to reputation Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, other places where we see, um, uh, witchcraft or, or witches mentioned, is that it is an insult to call someone a witch mm-hmm. or to call someone um, a, a troll corner. And that um, if you have, if you've called someone a, a witch and, um, uh, and they can sort of prove that, that you lied Okay. Then, then you can then be done for, for libel, effectively. It's, yeah,
0: it's fair enough. So you should be. You, um, you can't just go around calling everybody a witch now.
1: Right. In, exactly. I mean, it's a a lot. Really, goes back to um, you know not only reputation but also just kind of keeping the peace within a community, mm-hmm. um, and and resolving conflict. In various ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise you could just be going around like, you're a witch. A lot like you, you're a witch. Uh, you look to me funny, like you're a witch. Do you <laughs> think... But also, do you think the this idea that, oh, well, that if you had enough popularity, you could get off with not necessarily being a witch, but with being accused of a witch. Do you think that's why this idea of a, a modern the modern kind of image of a which is a recluse. It's always somebody who's, you know, solemn. They're on their own, uh, kind of plotting in a in a cave somewhere maybe or in a, in a house, a little wooden shack. So I think that comes from this idea that if you were popular, then you could get away with the trial or get out of it, whereas the ones who were lonely and on their own and, and unpopular just – couldn't and they tend to maybe be the ones who wound up being found guilty of being witches.
1: I mean, I think that if you were popular enough, you probably wouldn't be getting accused in the first place. Um, And that even if you had certain claims to, you know, being a a village wise woman, um, that if you were popular enough, people wouldn't see you as a witch because they wouldn't see you as causing harm.
0: Okay,
1: um, or they wouldn't see you as as a witch because, um, yeah, there there was sort of nothing to accuse you of, so to speak, um, and because that you know goes goes back to once we do see which the word witch being being used, it's an accusatory term. It's not a self identification. It's not really something that people are are applying to people that they think well of, mm-hmm. um. And then I think it's also worth asking, you know, how how much of our image um, of the witch we can um, we can simply thank these uh, these accusers for, um, because there's there's a lot of literature about sort of what a witch is and how you identify a witch um, from you know from the early modern period onwards um and certainly people who were accused were often um were often vulnerable in in some way and um you know yes someone who was going to be a recluse who wasn't really interacting in in society would would be vulnerable in that way mm-hmm. um but uh there's also uh there's also a lot in our kind of our st- the stereotypes that we hold um that are more related to sort of this image that was built up of witches over time, uh, more than um, more than kind of uh, boots on the ground,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, members of the community who who were being accused and who saw themselves as doing um, doing mm-hmm. certain, acts of of potentially magic potentially potentially just kind of helpful things in the community
0: what about pre christianity do we see like a witches then are is mainly kind of after that that time
1: um i mean this this is where we kind of come back around a little bit to you know should is is magic a a term that, um, you know, at least at least just thinking a little bit critically about how we use magic and and witch because in in a context where um, that sort of polemic aspect isn't present, then um, sort of what would a witch be in that context? Mm-hmm because um, people are obviously still going to cause harm, and there is still going to be a concept of this being able to happen in a way that's you know, maybe not necessarily necessarily visible or tangible. Um, and surely, you know a pre-Christian society would have to have um, some way to to deal with that. But you know, absent that idea of magic being a specific set of um, non-licit behaviors or or practices, um, then how that would fit into to to the worldview is is a really interesting question.
0: Yeah, I guess the the one that the example that comes to mind would be something like the Volva from Mm. Um, like Nordic mythology, they like, would that class would they class as a witch because it's certainly like a prophecy magic type figure. Uh, but then obviously they seem to be hailed and celebrated rather than persecuted. And I yeah, I just wondered if we saw any examples of that or how they would have been seen.
1: Within within a pre Christian context or
0: after both, I guess. If we if we know how they maybe they were looked at in a Christian because obviously we're, we're we're right on that cusp of um when we're talking about the Viking age, we're on that cusp of everything becoming Christian anyway. So it's, like it's during the Viking Age that Christianity takes hold of pretty much all of Europe. Uh so yeah, I guess even just looking back from maybe the, the the Icelandic saga literature or is there any examples where they would speak maybe negatively in a Christian context, speak negatively of uh the vulvas and, and what they that kind of figure?
1: I mean it's yeah, there's there's just kind of so many different angles that you can come at that from. Um so, I think that in in a pre-Christian context, we would probably not be looking at the, the vulva as a kind of witch because the paradigm that we are dealing with is um, that, you know, a lot of the sort of aspects of vulva-ness um, kind of overlap with how we see witches. Um, but within that context, I think um, they're they're not really working. They're not causing harm in the same way that we would expect mm-hmm. uh, a witch um, to. Um, and something that's you know very interesting in a lot of the um, saga material is that. Um, when we do have um, magic mentioned in um, things like the Icelandic sagas, um, it's not usually flagged as being counter to a Christian worldview. Like this, this sort of like Christian element isn't um, isn't kind of what's making magic problematic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know one one of the more uh, spectacular examples because it does result in a woman being um executed is the um is saga the, the the disagreements between Getrid and Katla and what's interesting here is that Getrid and Katla they're both um described as in different ways being able to perform magic mm-hmm. um and Gerda is even teaching magic to a young man, um, and part of what kind of causes the whole conflict is is that they're sort of, um, Katla is trying to you know compete with Gerda for the sexual attentions of of this young man. Okay, um, and um, and ultimately as well, um, you know, people are coming to find. Katla's son because he has committed a crime and she hides him through the use of magic. And that's, um, even though they're both described as being able to perform magic, it's only Katla that we see doing it. Um, And she's performing magic in order to harm the young man Mm -hmm. um, whose sexual attentions she couldn't win and to hide her son who has um, putatively performed a crime.
0: Okay. Okay. Right.
1: And, and that's, that's the problem. The problem. Well, and, and the fact that she doesn't have as good a reputation as Gerida does. Um,
0: So it seems, yeah, it seems as though popularity is a big part, but also this idea of, of causing harm, using magic to harm somebody else is then what would get you labeled a, a witch, I guess.
1: I mean, at at least that would um, that would that would sort of make you a, uh, make you a criminal
0: for it. Okay. So are there are there good witches, or would they be just, just would there, would that be another word, used for for people who use magic for positive reasons? I guess as 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 maybe a healer, because some people would associate witches with, I guess, with healing.
1: Yeah. Sure. And I, you know, I think that. Um, in, in a lot of contexts, it's, um, it, it depends on, um, it depends on who is calling you what and why, Okay.
0: um,
1: you know, it depends that the context where, where something is, is used because I can very well imagine that, you know, even if Tvokulna was a, uh, was an insult that you could, um, Take someone to court for having called you that. That, in particular context, it was it was just you know, a a woman who could work magic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it's it's sort of it's difficult when we just don't have um, you know these these words that are being used, um, in multiple contexts at the same time. Okay. Right. Because because if we only have you know, one particular kind of source material, there's sort of no corrective, for that. Mm-hmm. Um and then as as well, you know if we sort of if we accept that that witch is an accusatory term, then you can certainly have people who are healing within a society who are performing you know healing um functions, but they wouldn't be seen as witches as long as um as long as they didn't um not succeed so badly that they really pissed someone off
0: fair enough okay seeing as it's a spooky season is there any scary or gruesome story you can think of to end on that kind of springs to mind maybe like a little tale or a happening or event where just to put you on the spot I don't know if 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 you can't think of one it's 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 fine also,
1: oh gosh um
0: or is it just loaves of bread haunted loaves of bread just causing trouble I, love,
1: I mean i I love the you know off off the top of my head it's it's the loaves of bread are the only one is the only part of what she left in the bread that i can. <laughs>
0: See maybe the loves of bread just had like razor blades in and then that's that was the real issue. Or maybe she poisoned them, I don't know.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Um I love as well that the kind of that's the thing that sort of stuck in your mind as oh, well. Yeah.
0: The obscure <laughs> things always do. Um Okay, is there a, or is there anything that we've missed that we need to know about witches you think before I uh I get onto my unicorn rant?
1: oh you know i think i'm going to let you go on to your unicorn rant i've been looking forward to that for the last hour
0: (laughs) onto my unicorn rant yeah go on (laughs) well it might go terrible so it's the first time i've uh i've tried this segment so we'll see we'll see how it goes um yeah so feel free to to interject if there's anything you want to talk about whilst i go through the the facts of uh this weird kind of claim. So just to, to recap, um, the meme that I found claimed, I'm going to try and read it with the terrible punctuation that's there. Um, probably just need to take a really deep breath beforehand. So the claim is Vikings sold now horns as unicorn horns for centuries during medieval times. Cementing European beliefs in unicorns and leading to the characteristic portrayal of unicorns having long, spiraling horns. Okay, that's the that's the claim. So we can take a look at it if it's real. Like I said, I've done a bunch of reading. So the answer, in really short, is that as much as it seems like a real wild claim, there is some elements of truth to it, but just not. All of it, and it seems that the confusion, or the, the true part true pies, the confusion between the nowall horn and unicorn horns, uh, may have actually started with Vikings. And there's some see, some theory suggests that as the Scandinavians reached Greenland, um, they began to find Nawal horns washed upon on the shore, or they were even hunting them. And we do know that like Nawal horns were prized possessions of the rulers of Scotland and Denmark. Uh, and it's thought that the horns were sold to wealthy Europeans as unicorn horns. So they, for anybody that hasn't seen a Nawal uh, horn, um, you can see how they become confused with, with unicorn horns. They're, uh, they're, they're, I mean, a Nawal on its own is a mythical creature. If if I'd never seen one before and someone just showed me a Nawal, I'd be like, oh, well, you're not a real thing. It's just... It's an odd-looking thing isn't it? You it could quite easily be fiction. Um but it seems that that's where the truth ends when it comes to to this claim. Um so the 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 trade between Vikings and Europeans isn't the reason that Europeans believe in unicorns. Uh so the earliest possible imagery of a unicorn seems to date back to around 3000 BC in Mesopotamia and Egypt and the first written mention is in Greece, and I'm going to fuck this pronunciation, but uh, Cetas um, gives the first description in 400 BCE in his book Indica, and he says, or he describes them as fleet of foot, having a horn of a cubit and a half in length, colored white, red, and black. And in the first century CE, Pliny uh, the Elder writes of a fierce animal he calls monocheros or a single horn, um, which has the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, while the rest of the body looks like that of a horse. It makes a deep, lowing noise, and a single black horn, which projects from the middle of the forehead about two cubits in length. Now, could possibly be just talking about a rhino... a rhino A rhino. (laughs) Um, But... So as we know that unicorns existed prior to the viking age um before the was Vi- sorry we know that unicorns existed prior to the viking's trading the the all horns with the europeans uh, but to fully understand why it held such a value you have to look back further and kind of look at christianity as always so it's believed there's a mistranslation of the word ox in the bibles in the in bible's old e- in the bible's old old hebrew text which led to the unicorn being mentioned in the bible itself so in the second century CE, a greek christian text described the unicorn as a strong fierce animal whose horn could purify poisoned waters it also states that a unicorn can be subdued into cooperation by a virgin maiden and um, and this caused them to become loving and docile These characteristics cause the unicorn to become linked to Christ himself and the medieval paintings use the unicorn as a symbol of Christ. So then we have to look at unicorns and poison because this is the reason why they become so valuable. So being a king or queen or any high-ranking elite clearly has its dangers. Um, And one of the things they feared most was poison. that's because obviously the threat can come from... um, you obviously you can be delivered anonymously. It's invisible. Most of the time it's fatal when poisoned. So because of this, the elite would look for mythical and magical items that could neutralize or expose the use of poison. And yes, the most sought after item was, of course, the unicorn horn. So typically the unicorn horn would then be a narwhal horn or a rhinoceros horn. In uh, by the time of the Renaissance, the unicorn horn became a cure for all, for poison, uh, and their value was about 10 times their weight. the The um So the unicorn horn, whether it was the narwhal horn or the the rhinoceros horn, would be about 10 times its weight in gold. So you can see why these are such valuable things. They weigh more than they would in gold. So. Clearly, if you can get hold of one, it's going to do you some good if you can trade it. Um in 1533, Pope Clement the presented the King Fran- uh, King Francis the First of France with a magnificent horn moulded in solid gold. Ivan the Terrible had a staff made from one. Philip II of Spain apparently had twelve. He really was flexing with unicorn horns. Uh, the Royal uh, Habsburg family placed one of their took. Tusks in a scepter covered in gemstones. And in the late 1600s, Christian V of Denmark sat on a throne of unicorn horns. And even Queen Elizabeth I, who was known for being quite skeptical of things, bought a long spiraled unicorn horn for £10,000 and was rumored to drink from a unicorn cup that was seen to be so valuable that she said that it had to be kept with the crown jewels. And it was said that if poison came in contact with the cup, it would ex it would explode. So to s- summarize all that up, that long-winded explanation up, it- it's likely that the Vikings did trade Nawal Horn with um the Europeans and they did probably sell them as Unicorn Horn because of their value. Uh, but the reason that it's got enormous wealth is its healing properties is because it could find poison effectively that it could heal poison whether it made exposed it when it was put in it or it actually healed it itself. Uh, But there is one account whilst I was reading and kind of researching this that I couldn't leave out. And that was in the sixth century, there's an explanation of why the unicorn is so elusive. Um, And we're told that the unicorn's power resides in its horn. And when placed in danger, a unicorn would happily throw itself off a cliff to escape and it would land expertly on the point of its horn, unharmed. And then I don't know how it kind of got itself out. If you can just imagine a unicorn just stuck in the ground by its horn, it must have then righted itself somehow and just trotted off. Um, but that's one explanation for why we don't find them. So if Sophie, our resident artist, would like to draw, that I would love to see an image of a unicorn just kind of coming off a cliff and just stuck point down. Um, so there you go. That's That's my... Research of that meme. Um, what's true, what's not true? That's the the best that I could find. Obviously, if if I've gone wrong in there, anyway, please somebody let me know. But I found it, I found it fascinating. So hopefully, everyone else enjoyed it, Gwendolyn and hopefully you liked a little bit of unicorn knowledge. I guess
1: I'm I'm very very pleased to have that bit of unicorn knowledge, and I can even um yeah uh, um draw it in with the theme of of the day as well because in uh, uh in medieval contexts um poison is very often associated with um with magic um, to the to the extent that sometimes when we see a word like beneficium which you know usually means poison um we can be a little bit unsure if it's being used as a as a shorthand for kind of um magic more more broadly
0: Oh, wow! Mm-hmm. Well, there we go Gwendolyn, um, well, no, we 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 should jump over and do the q and a. I've seen some questions already popping up in the in the chat that we can get to uh do you wanna let people know where they can I don't know if you have a public persona you'd like to share whether it's an Instagram or twitter or people, um, any books out at...
1: right right now I have the the cat that is trying to hunt my hand sorry um <laughs> um. My uh, my doctoral thesis um the broken order shapeshifting a social metaphor in early medieval England and Ireland, which is on the um, um the sort of image rota that's, that you had used to advertise that's freely available online um it's it's open access um the the book based on my um project on witchcraft as a legal concept is currently in production. So that is not available yet, but as soon as it is, um, then it will hopefully be published open access as, as well. So, you know, anyone who wants to read it can, um, I do have an academia.edu page, um, which is woefully behind (laughs) where it should be. Mm -hmm. But, um, that is that is what i have available as far as uh, a public uh public presence goes at the moment unfortunately
0: wow, <laughs> i'll have perfect. to work on that <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about shape-shifting so that we're definitely going to get into that in the q a i'm going to have some <laughs> questions usually sometimes the q a just turns into me asking more questions as well so if you do want to listen to the q a and the shape-shifting answers we're going to get uh it's on our patreon forward slash naughty mythology podcast three pound a month 10p a day It does help the show keep going. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to follow me, it's just Daniel underscore Farrand one. Still haven't managed to claim it without the one on the end, but hey, we, uh, we carry on and just not mythology podcast. And if you want to support the businesses at horns of Odin and yeah, that's that's it. Let's um, let's do some questions.